Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show, a podcast devoted to helping you take your message, your business, and your life to the next level. This, my friends, is episode number 455, and I am your host, Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man. And this week's episode, my friends, I am I am so honored and delighted to welcome back once again my great friend, Ray Edwards. Ray, how are you, brother? I'm fantastic. There was a time, Cliff, that I dreamed that one day I would be on the Cliff Ravenscraft show, and now I've been on more than once, so I feel like I've stepped into a hall of very honored personages. Well, I'll tell you what, it's it's great. I, th- I think people are going to be wondering if I'm going to change the name and the branding of the show to the Cliff and Ray show. Well, let them wonder. Let them wonder. I'm excited to have so many wonderful friends such as yourself, and I envision doing many more solo-hosted shows, ongoing, nonstop, never-ending monologues, because I like to talk (laughs) and hear my own voice. But I also plan on doing many more conversations with friends like you, and I've got several other friends in mind as well. I love both kinds of shows. When I listen to your show, I love it when you just want to talk, you've got something on your heart. And on your mind that you want to share, I love that. And I also love the way you're so selective with your guests. I don't know how I snuck under the gate, but <laughs> the other guests that you have on, okay, that's a little bit of false humility. I, I love the fact that you invite me on. And I love the other people that you invite on. And I love to hear those conversations. I think both are a great mix. Yeah. And if anybody was ever concerned about the rebranding of this podcast, um, well, those people have left. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the people who are still listening today, you are my people. That's all I can say. I love you guys, each and every single one of you. By the way, just a little quick aside, we have a very important topic we're going to talk about today, but just a quick aside, I had a podcasting A to Z student who had said, Cliff, I've been hearing a lot of thought leaders in this industry say that when you are addressing your audience, you should never speak to them as a group of people. You should all, It's always a conversation between you and that single person listening to your show. What are your thoughts on that? And the reason why I ask you is because I always hear you say, hey, guys, uh, hey, folks, you're always addressing people into the plural. And I said, well, number one, I don't believe that people always listen to my show alone. Uh, I happen to have many guys who write in and say, hey, my wife and I were listening to three or four of your episodes on our road trip. I've had entire families listen, but that's not the reason. One of the reasons why I say, hey, guys, or hey, folks, is because If you're hearing my voice right now, you're not the only person listening. I don't want you to ever think you're alone. You're a part of a community. And my goal isn't just to build a relationship with you, but I hope to one day have the opportunity to introduce you to another person who is out there listening. And so when I say, hey, folks, I am talking to you, but I'm talking to you and all the other people just like you who we have this mutual passion and shared interest in the things that I might talk about. So that's why. I'm just going to give you a good amen on that. Cool. Awesome. All right. So the topic of today's show is based upon some feedback that I got from a concerned listener after hearing my first return back to the monologue format uh, after six weeks. So I was already a little nervous, Ray. It's like, wait a second, I've had six weeks of conversation with amazing people and people have talked about how much they love those. And I'll admit, Ray, I was a little concerned going back to the to the monologue. Because now I got to carry the whole thing myself. Yeah. It's like everybody's like loved all. Oh, I love the insight from Aaron Walker, man. That guy's incredible. Boy, what you and Ray talked about. And I really loved what Ray said. And I'm like, my gosh, am I going to be able to live up to that? Yeah, I I feel you. I've had the same thing happen. I, I get, I think those conversations feel so human and people feel like they're, they're part of the conversation. And that's why it touches a nerve with so many people. And you get those responses. And then I've been there. I've had that same feeling of, well, it's just me. Sean's not here. My guests are not here, but we love you, Cliff. We know you have great things to say. Awesome. Thank you for that. Well, Ray, I'm good. I didn't ask you this ahead of time, but I did share a Google Doc with you, and I want to know if you would be willing to read a piece of feedback that came from a concerned listener. Uh, yes, of course. This, this came to me uh, maybe two days after I released episode 454 last week. I got this via a Snapchat message from a concerned listener. And it says, Hi, Cliff. I just listened to your latest podcast and was very alarmed by the Tony Robbins part. 
His NLP theories have been debunked scientifically many times. This is not real psychology. I think your initial assertion that it's snake oil was the right one. Please be very careful. It is very costly snake oil. You have much more valuable insights than Tony Robbins because you are not trying to reprogram people with NLP. You actually want to help them. The first part of the podcast sounded so unlike you that it made my skin crawl. Again, be careful and do some research, like the Skeptoid episode about NLP. And save your hard-earned cash for things that have true value, not on pseudoscience. I care for you and Stephanie. I just realized that you might read this in the morning. I hope it didn't sound too harsh. I value you and your example in life much more than the Tony Robbins stuff. He could learn a thing or two from you instead of the other way around. Wow. Yeah. So I received that and I'm like, wow, the first, and by the way, I was really excited, very passionate about that first part of last week's episode. I really thought it was the heart of, you know, the title of the episode is what I'm doing to take things to the next level. And right. the th one of the things, one of the many things that I'm excited about, and maybe even the most excited right now because it's, well, this week, is the Tony Robbins part. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm really pumped up. I'm really jazzed, really excited about this. And all of a sudden, that part of the episode, this one where I'm concerned about coming back, doing the monologue. It, one, and by the way, I happen to know the person who sent this. We're connected on Snapchat and we're pretty close, you could say. And I do know that the heart of this person is one of love and care for myself and Stephanie. So all of that, and I come back, and and now all of a sudden, this thing that I was so excited about last night is making my friend's skin crawl. Yeah, yeah. So I know that if you're like me, when you see a note from a friend about something you've done, your first initial response is, oh, good. Let me see what Cliff has to say about this. And then if you, if I read something like this from you, I would feel... I don't know how you felt, but I would feel like the wind had just come out of my sails for at least a moment. You know, I I would have a couple years ago, my it would have sucked all of the wind out of my lungs. Absolutely. There's there's no question. It would have been like a gut punch. Not because that person intended to hurt me. Oh, of course. But but certainly because it's like, "Whoa, did I do something wrong? Am I wrong?" And right. wow, am I wrong publicly in front of everyone? Have I destroyed my credibility by associating myself with such things. And well, and I just like to say, uh, if you're ever going to give feedback to someone out of concern, this is the way to do it. If you listen to those words, go back and listen again. It was very well written. It was very respectful and it very clearly expressed some real concerns. So I think it was well done and clearly it was from somebody who cares about you deeply and wants, has only your best interest at heart. And speaking as the guy who I feel like I kind of sold you the snake oil, yeah, <laughs> that uh, I, I I had a response to it as well. I was like, "Wow, huh? Okay, that's a different way to think about it." Yeah. So here's what I want to say. Well, going back to your initial question is is that years ago I would have had the wind sucked out of me because I was years ago so much of how I felt about myself, my own identity, was tied up in the approval and. Am I validated by those I respect the most or those I care about the most? And as long as I'm and so if anybody that I trusted or respected sent me something like this a couple years ago, it would have crushed me because it would have it would have like made me question so many things. But the reason why this this feedback didn't suck the wind out of me in this time is because number one, and and Ray, you've said this before we hit the record button today. I have been on the other end of this conversation with friends. I yes. have shared this same, you know, I'm a concerned friend and I want to share this with you as well. Yes. And I have shared that concern about the very person we're discussing, Tony Robbins and his teachings. I have said to other people in the past, I've said, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that's a good idea. And I had lots of great reasons why. And today I'll just go ahead and give you the spoiler today. I'm convinced that I was mistaken and I'm a big supporter of this. In fact, I really encouraged you to go experience this event. You did. And that is part of the reason why I felt confident 
in making the decision to even jump deeper into Tony Robbins stuff. And it wasn't just that, but here's what I can tell you. Before you, there was Michael Hyatt, which I also referenced in last week's conversation. It's like Michael and I were sitting in his office one day and, and we were sitting there having a conversation and he just, and, and we talked about the different events. He, we were talking about his platform conference and we were talking about how events can have a positive impact and even change your life. And he, one of the examples he gave was an event that Tony Robbins did. And I'm like, whoa, it's like, wait a second, Michael Hyatt went to a Tony Robbins event and he has now positive things to say about it. That, that How can it be? He's a Christian. <laughs> yes. And, and now the thing is, is I had already had a mindset shift about the way that I approach these things. But before there was Tony Robbins in my mind in this area, there was Napoleon Hill. Oh, that's a, that's, there's a conversation too. Because oh yeah. If it's funny how many people quote the book, think and grow rich that it's clear to me they haven't read the whole thing because if they had, well, they would at least know there's some really spooky stuff in that book. Yeah, there is. his other work as well. Well, the thing is, is when I started my own business full-time, I I began this entrepreneurial journey, if you will. I guess it was probably right when I started to decide, I would like to do this full-time. You know, this. so this is probably... 2007, mid 2007, I started to hear about Think and Grow Bridge. Everybody who I respected told me I should get the book Think and Grow Rich. That's one of the books you must read. You must read this book. Even Dave Ramsey recommends this book. Now, see, I didn't know that. Yep, it's true. There you go. It's true. It's a, <laughs> every time I hear it, it's true, I remember I, I think of Hamilton. They delighted and distracted a Martha Washington named her feral tomcat after him. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's so many times, not a day goes by that I don't think of Hamilton, yes. to be honest with you. And those of you who are obsessed with Hamilton as much as Ray and I are, uh, you know what reference we're talking about. And for those of you that don't, listen to Hamilton two or 25 times. And, <laughs> and when you hear, that's true. Every time you'll be reminded of this conversation. Yes, the first 25 times is good preparation. <laughs> exactly. I did my 100-mile ride the other day, at, uh, not this past Sunday, but the week before. I did uh, the Hamilton soundtrack twice back-to-back. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. Anyway, I digress. And uh, I was talking about Napoleon Hill. So here's the thing. Everybody said, you must listen to or you must read think and grow rich and i'm and i start reading the book and all of a sudden this i believe this gift of discernment that that has been given to me by god through the holy spirit i'm reading this and all of a sudden alarm systems are going off it's like red alert red alert belief system in place this this violates this thought this thing this that i'm like Seriously? Now, how on earth could this person recommend that I read this book? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in our I, just so many people have recommended this and, and people that I trust that are Christians and I respect so much about everything that they or most everything that they do and say. And, and it's like, how did how do they reconcile some of the stuff in Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich that it just especially when he starts talking about the universal consciousness and mm. he never references God and, and, and the, there, the, you could say new age kind of philosophy. Oh, uh, Napoleon Hill's philosophy comes straight out of a school of thought called new thought, which goes back much further in history than, than Napoleon Hill himself. And so the new thought movement is the beginning of the new age movement as we know it today. And so your questions were, and your observation was, extremely valid and accurate. Yeah, and so I'm reading this book, and then I decide, no, this book is not for me. I, I, I can't read this in good conscience, because there's so much in here that violates what I know to be true in my heart, and I, I just, I do not want to, and my, my mindset was, I don't want to be tainted by this. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I already, as, as a believer, I already have, I believe, a very healthy dose of skepticism and doubt. <laughs> I, and I do believe there's a healthy amount of doubt in the, in the Christian walk and faith. And mm-hmm. I already have enough of that. <laughs> I don't need anything else that's going to cause me to question even more 
of... You don't need to sow the weeds of seeds in the garden of your mind. Exactly. The seeds of weeds. Seeds of weeds. Yes. Oh, you knew where I was going. I didn't know where you were going. But that's exactly what I was concerned. And so I put the book down. And then all of a sudden I... And, you know, I'm hearing... I won't mention all the names of people, but there was one man that at the time I heard him mention think and grow rich and he was talking about some things and this guy was david foster and you, you and i know we talk about david foster quite a bit yes a pastor friend of mine passed away a couple years ago but he was very close dear friend of mine and he quotes think and grow rich and he suggests that hey if you haven't read this book you should really read it i called him up and i said dude what are you talking about and he says listen cliff let me tell you I believe that if you look at Napoleon Hill's life, you'll find this is a man who dedicated a majority of his life to studying the most successful people in existence in his day. We're talking about the Rockefellers and the Andrew Carnegie's and the all of, you know, he he devoted his life to studying their success and what he was looking for were insights and universal principles that could be distinguished that says, hey, you know what? Here's a principle that I see that is a part of the lives of each of these successful people. And I believe this is a universal truth. And this universal truth, if you take it out of their circumstance and plug it into your circumstance, whatever the circumstance is, this is a universal truth. It's going to be true in every circumstance. So if you apply this principle, you'll likely see the same result. And what he says, he says, Cliff, what happened is this guy spent most of his life studying these successful people, and he uncovered a ton of what are universal truths. And David told me, he says, Cliff, I believe that, a, and this is his worldview, he says, I believe that any universal truth that is true is true because God placed that universal truth into the way the world works. Agreed. So what is true is true because God made it true. A universal truth is not any less true because you learned about it from someone else who believes or teaches other things that are not true. I 100% agree with that. And if you think about it, you guys, as you're listening, uh, if you think about it, you already agree with this too, because otherwise you would not drive your car because, I mean, good heavens, it could have been, uh, some of it could have been designed by an atheist or by uh, somebody who has a different set of beliefs than you do. You wouldn't ride on an airplane because the pilot may not agree with all your doctrinal statements of your faith. And you wouldn't let a surgeon operate on you until you quizzed him about all of his beliefs about eternity and scripture. And I I'm being a little ridiculous, but the point is all of these scenarios that I've mentioned involve people making use of universal truth principles that are built into the fabric of the universe. And so they work for all of us. Absolutely. When I think about this, I apply what I've learned about Napoleon Hill. And by the way, after David told me that, it's almost like it gave me permission to learn new and valuable universal truths and to use the gift of discernment that I have been given by God to discern the things that I should just chuck to the side. Mm -hmm. You know, and when I think about that, I it opens up so many opportunities to learn from the valuable wisdom, insights, and experience of other people who may have some pretty weird, far-out beliefs and teachings. And yes. I went back and I've read Think and Grow Rich. I've read it three or four times since then. My life today is exponentially more successful as a result of many of the teachings that are universal truths that I picked up from Napoleon Hill. Yeah, but you're totally right. I was at an event a couple of years ago and uh, it was not a Tony Robbins event. And I'm not going to say whose event it was, but it was a large scale training event and there was a lot of spiritual style activity taking place as part of the event. A lot of guided meditations and things of that nature. And it kind of was giving me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. And I stepped outside to pray. And I just asked God, and some of you may think this is a little crazy, but this is just how I operate. So this is who I am. I just asked God, what is going on? Am I okay to be here? Do I need to leave? And I felt 
that he prompted me and said, what do you feel in that room? And I instantly said, I, I feel a lot of love. The people there seem to love one another. And the person doing the presenting seems to love the people in the room. And God said, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a very clear statement in my mind. And he said, where love is, there I am. I went back in and I disregarded the things that did not work for me or fit into my worldview. And I had a very rewarding experience as a result. And I stopped being super judgmental and withdrawn and started loving people. Imagine that. Imagine that. Going back to this uh, message from the concerned listener, I want to address, I think, two different things in here. One, he says, you have much more valuable insight than Tony Robbins. And he says, because you're not trying to reprogram people with NLP. Let's set aside NLP and just, I don't want to discuss NLP here. I certainly have some interest in learning about what that method is. It is one of many different methods of psychology that Tony has studied and uses certain principles from in some of his teachings. And I certainly know there's a lot out there that is very skeptical of it as well. I'm not looking to reprogram people. And and even as I was going through creating lasting change, I'm listening to it. And all of a sudden, I don't know that I'm in my coaching practice, I'm going to start setting things you know, into motion through body language and patting them on the back in a certain way and it's like, okay, I'm going to take away from creating lasting change. I'm going to take away the six basic human needs approach and understanding people, what their worldview is and what drives them. And there's so much, but I don't need to be hitting people on in a certain place to get them into a certain state and, and feeling yeah. like I'm a hypnotist on stage. Yes, exactly. So, but here's what I want to say is number one, I do believe I have valuable insights that may even be greater than Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins certainly has valuable insights that are greater than mine. Yes. And it has nothing to do with, you know, what we're doing and what techniques and other things that we believe in. Here's what I know is that there are a ton of things that I believe right now that are not true. There are even some things that I'm probably even teaching right now that are not true. <gasps> Shock. Yeah. And the reason I know that is because I talk. I know there's a lot of things I taught back in the day that I today is like, oh, I'm so embarrassed to even think that I ever taught that. Yeah, I'm so, with you. And the other one is that he could learn a thing from you instead of the other way around. I do believe that Tony Robbins could learn a thing or two from me and from anyone else who's out there. Yes. But I certainly believe that there are a thing or two that I could learn from Tony Robbins. And I think... Tony would be the first person to not only admit, but enthusiastically admit, absolutely, I can learn from you, Cliff. And you're having a great depth of insight and wisdom to offer people does not invalidate the wisdom and knowledge that Tony has to offer people. Absolutely. So moving forward, I, I, you know, we talked about Napoleon Hill. There's another example that I'll give, T. Harv Ecker. Somebody recommended that I read the book Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. I have a millionaire mind. Yes. You know, to this day, Ray, every single time I'm walking down the road and I see a, a change on, it doesn't matter if it's a dirty, greasy, grimy penny, a dime that it, it looks like it's all crusted over. I don't, I don't care if it's shiny or not. Every single time I find any spare change on the ground, I pick it up. And as I'm putting it in my pocket, I say, I am a money magnet. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I did that for a long time and I finally, I made it my own. Uh, and I started to say, and this is not, I'm not Jesus juking you here. Um, if you haven't heard that, look up I've Jesus, never... John Acuff. Okay. It's hilarious. Um, but I, I now say when I find a penny or any kind of any coin, just like you just said, I'll pick it up and I'll hold it in my hand and I'll say, thank you, God for putting wealth in my path that I didn't even have to earn. And I put it in my pocket. And it's the same principle as money magnet. It's just a little more personalized to my own belief. But that's the effect that T. Harvecker had on me. I read all of T. Harvecker's book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, which by the way, yes. I highly recommend it. Here's, yeah. what I, here's what I can tell you. The guy is way more arrogant than I'm comfortable with. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. I bet you he's a super nice guy, and I bet you in, in real life he's probably not so arrogant, egotistical, and just so boisterous in your face. It's probably just comes away that way in his writing, but the way that he's written his book, 
he seems to me to be a complete and utter egomaniac. And that's a lot coming from Cliff Ravenscraft. (laughs) I'm just saying. You're cracking me up today, man. Okay. The first few chapters, it might even be the first chapter, he talks about the formula. Thoughts plus emotions plus actions equal results. And he talks about how you have this blueprint, and this blueprint is that formula, and the fact that no matter what, you cannot operate. You cannot make more money than what your blueprint will allow. And this is what your blueprint says. And I had a blueprint. And my blueprint had a certain dollar amount, and I could never make more. I sometimes make more, but I would sabotage it. And yep. and I read this book, and boom, it's like, oh, my gosh, there's a universal truth right there. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I went in, and I reprogrammed the formula. I, I took out some variables, plugged in some new variables, some new beliefs, and I changed the formula on the left side. And today, my income is 10 times what it was before I read that book. You are a money magnet. <laughs> I have a millionaire mind. So there you go. But do I believe in everything that T. Harv Ecker says in that book? No. When I recommend Napoleon Hill, when I recommend T. Harv Ecker, I often recommend it with a little word of caution uh, that I don't fully endorse or agree everything this person teaches. If you think about it, we really should just offer that warning about anything we recommend because I'm sure that everybody I recommend, everybody I know, everybody I learn from probably believes some things that I don't believe. So from now on, you need, hey, everybody, you need to check out Ray Edwards. Go over to rayedwards.com. But by the way, just word of caution, I don't necessarily agree with every single thing Ray believes or teaches. Yeah. <laughs> or or we could all just have a moment of revelation and realize, well, that's true for all of us. So maybe we don't need to be so afraid of other people's ideas. There is a, a gentleman who told me one time, I was, we were talking about a book that I had read or that I was reading. I had some challenges with. It wasn't any of the books we've mentioned so far, but I had similar challenges with it. And he said, well... You read a book like you eat a chicken. You pluck the chicken and you don't eat the beak and the, and the claws and you just eat the edible parts and you leave the rest. Now, if you're a vegan, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you, but uh, the point is you take what works for you and you leave behind the rest. Thanks, Ray. I just lost all of my vegan audience. <laughs> just oh, kidding. I'm trying to help you thin the herd. <laughs> yes, thank you. No, that's, that's great. That's exactly it. You, you eat the meat and leave the bones aside, right? Here's another book that has had a radical impact on my life and one that my worldview and believe it or not, this worldview, it's it, okay. I come from this area of the world where evangelicals believe that every single word is a literal translation of the Bible and that, you know, seven days is seven days. Those are seven days and nights. The world was created in that period of time. There was the flood. There is no evolution. That is not even a possibility in existence. If you believe that, then none of this is true, and you might as well just be an atheist. You are one of Satan's minions. You know, and, and by the way, I grew up with that teaching, and I still hold on to much of that, although I'm open to the fact that I may be wrong about evolution, though I don't believe that I am. So that's where I stand on that issue, okay? Now, there are, I can tell you, I live right down the road. I'm literally, I can walk to the Creation Museum from my house. That's a, It's a 45-minute walk. So that's how close I am to the center of this teaching. Now, just to nuance this discussion a little bit, I grew up with the same teaching, and I am at a place now where I believe that there is ample scientific evidence that it, it convinces me that the evolutionary theory is true. And so I had to reconcile, well, I still believe the Bible is true. So what do I do with that? And I had to realize that for me, the position that I've come to is, well, I clearly don't understand everything about how God made the world. And I clearly don't understand everything about every word in the Bible. So I trust God and I see the evidence before me. And those two things don't conflict with one another. And I don't feel the slightest bit of friction between me and you because we have slightly different opinions on this subject. Now, see, I would tell you that 10 years ago, that would have drawn a line between you and I. Yeah, same for me. But today it does not. And here's the thing. I still do not believe in evolution. 
Although I agree that there's a lot of scientific evidence, but boy, I can go to my friends who believe the other way and they got all kinds of evidence as well. Absolutely. Just like the, I know we don't don't want to discuss this, but it's the same thing with NLP. There's arguments on both sides. Does it work? Does it not? Is it science? Is it pseudoscience? You pick your position and then go, you can find plenty of evidence to support it. So where is this conversation leading us to? It's about another book that was recommended to me. And this book was called Younger Next Year. Mm. All right. Written by two guys. One guy happens to be a medical doctor and the other co-author is his patient. And I'm, I've been recommended this book by a Christian friend of mine. His name, I'll even mention it. it it's Ken Davis. Ken, Ken I've, Davis. I've, I've just outed you, brother. But uh, Ken, Ken gave me this book. And guess what he gave me? A word of caution. He goes, I don't know what your faith is on, on the evolution thing and, and stuff like that. So, but, but if you happen to be the one who that kind of concerns you, just a word of caution. There's a lot in here on the evolutionary thing. I mean, he beats the me but the dead horse i mean it's just like it's crazy he said he goes just understand that the medical science that is today's research that he shares that's the that's the meat that you take away from this book you can choose to discard anything else that you want just know that the the truth is the truth and you can discern what the truth is in there but i think i think you'll do well reading this book i read this book right it has radically had a profound and positive impact in my life, as you well know. Yes, I've seen the evidence of that. That's another book that years ago, my old mindset that says this person teaches things that aren't real. And I'm telling you, you read Younger Next Year. And if you do not believe in evolution and you believe that anybody who promotes it works actively against your faith and you refuse to learn from that person, I guarantee you this book is like thick in it. If I had the old mindset that I can't learn from somebody who teaches this vehemently against something that is such a huge major tenet of my faith, then I would not see the transformation I have today. And by the way, for those of you that are relatively new or maybe even listening to this podcast for the very first time, November 14th, 2014, I weighed 268 pounds. Since then, I've lost over 80 pounds and put on 20 pounds of muscle. Boom. Directly as the main instigation of that book that I'm just referring to called Younger Next Year. Despite the fact that it had all that evolution stuff in it. Despite that. And by the way, that book did not convince me of evolution. Just saying. It wasn't the purpose of the book. Exactly. So I wanted to share all of that. Now, the thing is, is does Tony Robbins have anything of value outside of the new age, all of those NLP things? Does he have any teachings? And the answer is yes. But what I want to do is I just want to share one of them. And Ray, I'm going to play a five-minute audio clip. This is only half of a 10-minute lesson that he gave for free to people on his mailing list. So I'm just going to listen to this and invite each of you to listen along. Ultimately, if you're going to have lasting change in anything, you're really talking about just raising your standards. I mean, I always tell people, if you want to know how to change your life, I give it to you in three words, boring as it sounds, raise your standards. What does that mean? Lasting change is different than a goal. You don't always get your goals, but you always get your standards. Maybe it'll help you is to think about it this way. I, I try to explain standards to people with a different set of words. Think of it as everybody in life gets their musts. They don't get their shoulds. Like, think about it. Most people have a list of shoulds, don't they? Don't you have a list of the shoulds, things you should do, you should follow through on? I, I should lose some weight. I should work out more. I should make more calls. I should respond more rapidly to my email. Whatever, you know? I should get into the office earlier. I should be, you know, more confident. Whatever your should list is, people love to have their should list be met, but it's kind of like New Year's resolutions. If it does, it's really exciting, but if it doesn't, which is most of the time, eh, it's a little disappointing, but you kind of know it's not going to happen. But when you decide something is a must for you, an absolute must, when you cut off any possible, you say, I'm going to find the way or I'm going to make the way. Human beings, when they resolve things, when they make a real resolution inside themselves, which is they raise the standard and they make it a must, they find the way. Think about it in your own life. Haven't you had some area of your life where you raise your standard and your life has never been the same? Maybe at one time in your life you smoked cigarettes or you did something and you did it for years and you kept trying to change it, trying to change it and kept telling yourself I should. And then one day something happened. Something just clicked you over. Something took you over that kind of tipping point. 
And inside yourself, you said, no more. And it was a very, very different experience, wasn't it? Something inside of you shifted. And what was a should became a must, and you've never gone back. Is there an area like that in your life you can think of? Again, did you ever smoke cigarettes? Did you ever eat a certain way, drink a certain form of alcohol, and then finally say no more, and you just don't go back? And notice this, it doesn't really take any willpower anymore. Because somewhere when we make this click, when we make something a must, we attach ourselves to it. It becomes part of our identity. And one thing I've learned in the last, gosh, 33 years of working with people from now over 100 countries, 4 million people, is human beings absolutely follow through on who they believe they are. If you say, said to me, well, I'm really going to work hard to stop smoking, but, you know, I've been a smoker my whole life, and I'm, you know, I am a smoker. I know your days are numbered. You're going to be back smoking cigarettes again because we all act consistent with who we believe we are. I tell people the strongest force in the whole human personality is this need to stay consistent with how we define ourselves. If you define yourself as somebody who is really conservative, you're not going to be crazy and act nuts unless you're really drunk or something, and then you can say it's the alcohol, when it's really just you finally getting permission to be yourself, the alcohol is your excuse. If you're a really crazy person, you act crazy, outrageous, playful. You don't act conservative because that's not who you are. Very often people say, well, I can't do that. I'm not that kind of person. And I always say to people, really, when did you define yourself? I mean, really, how many years ago did you come up with what you could and couldn't do in your life? How many years ago? Most people, if they really look at how they're living their life today, it's based on a set of standards, a set of beliefs that they made choices about 10, 20, 30 or more years ago. I mean, very often we made decisions in our youth or very young about what to believe, about what we were capable of, about who we are as a person, and that becomes the glass ceiling, if you will, that controls us. There's a, a corny metaphor, but it's true. I remember one time I was with my family at the circus and there was a person there and they had this big giant elephant. And you look at this elephant and they take this little rope, put it around the elephant's neck and they drive this stake into the ground. And I mean, you look at this and you know that elephant could rip down the entire tent with almost no effort. And yet the elephant doesn't struggle, doesn't try. Why? Because the elephant's conditioned. And they take that elephant, condition the elephant when it's a baby elephant. That's how they train him. When it's a little baby elephant and it doesn't have the power yet, they put a big rope around it and they drive this huge stake in the ground and the elephant fights and fights and fights. And one day, finally, that elephant decides, I'm not capable of pulling this out. And once that becomes the definition of an identity of anyone, an elephant in this case, they don't even try anymore. It's just who I am, that's how it is, that's just the way it is in my life. I'd like to ask you to Take a look at any place you've got a limitation and ask yourself, when did I decide to accept that limitation? And you may not even see it as a limitation. You might see it as just, that's who I am. But so often in our lives, we've adapted to be a certain way so that we don't fail or so that people will like us or respect us, but it's not necessarily who we are. There you go. That's half of that teaching. And Ray, what he is sharing there is universal truth. Agreed. It makes the hairs on my arm stand knowing that I now completely and fully understand the universal truth that lies below the, the surface of the method of raising our standards. This is something that I may or may not have maybe slightly new subconsciously or just from experience, but it's not something I ever put a name to or or stuff like that. But man, when you sit down and you hear it taught in a way that you don't always get your goals, but you always get your standards. And what does he mean that? He says, everyone in life gets their musts. They don't always get their shoulds. Yeah. And that that universal truth changed my life more than once and give me one example where it's changed your life and then i'll give an example matter of fact let me ask this question ray because they'll give you a minute to think about one not that you need a moment i'm sure you have one off the top of your head but let me ask it in this way have you ever had an area of your life where you raised your standard and your life has never been the same something that you did and did it for years and you kept trying to change it and trying to change it and kept telling yourself i should and then one day something happened something took you over the tipping point and inside yourself you said no more there was something very different in that experience wasn't there something inside of you shifted 
what was once a should became a must and you never went back. Has that ever happened to you, Ray? Yes. As it turns out, it has. When our son was born in 1986, I had been at that time a two and a half pack a day cigarette smoker. And two things happened at the same time, nearly the same time. I got a copy of Tony Robbins' personal power program on cassette tape. And I heard him teaching this a very similar version of what we just heard. And I realized that I had to not just try to stop smoking because I had tried many times before. But when my son was born, I realized that that Ray, you should stop smoking had to become a must. It did become a must. I had to stop smoking because I could not pollute the air that my son was breathing and I could not continue to commit slow suicide and not be there for him later in his life. So I became in an instant a non-smoker and I still had to work through the discipline of walking that out, but I became and identified myself as a non-smoker. Keyword there. So we already had the universal truth of here. Everyone in life gets their musts. Not everyone gets their shoulds. That's that's a universal truth. You cannot argue against that. That It applies for everyone, everywhere, every circumstance. But there's another one, and that is when you change your identity, you change your standard. Yes. What you, you said at that very moment, I am a non-smoker. Correct. And I haven't had a cigarette since January 1, 1988. And that's because one thing that Tony Robbins has learned in working with over 4 million people in over 100 countries over the past 33 years, a little bit more experience than Cliff Ravenscraft has had. A little Uh, bit more than me too. Just one thing that he's learned in working with over 4 million people in 100 countries over the past 33 years is that human beings absolutely follow through on who they believe they are. And he says the strongest force in the whole human personality is the need to stay consistent with how we define ourselves. Yes. Ray, can I tell you something about me? I am an endurance athlete. (laughs) Yes, you are. I am a bodybuilder. Yes, you are. You know, and and I want to tell you, I'm going to share with you. My wife won't mind if I share this conversation. You know, I had been riding my bike. I did over a thousand miles on the bike last year. And after doing a 50 mile ride, I decided I was going to do a hundred mile ride. And after I did a hundred miles, I'm like, okay, this is cool. And I said to my wife, did you ever think you'd be married to an athlete? And she chuckled. She goes, you're not an athlete. Oh. And I'm like, "Uh, yes, I am. She goes, no, an athlete, somebody who is actively engaged in a sport where they participate in events like races and stuff like that. And I said, well, technically, I became an athlete under your definition when I did complete my first triathlon. But I don't necessarily subscribe to your same definition of athlete. I believe that I am an endurance athlete. And what I define an endurance athlete is one who basically pushes their body on a consistent basis through a long, grueling exercise regime and makes their body last longer and longer, that that they can endure, they train their body methodically to endure long forms of exercise. I said, by my definition, I am an endurance athlete and I may not participate in lots of official events while I do, I've done a couple, That's not my goal. I'm not training for events. I'm an endurance athlete that is not training to win events. I'm an endurance athlete who is training to live a healthy life in my 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. Yes. You know, I am also, I say, I'm a bodybuilder. And I I always say, like, I'm not looking to try to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger did when he did the movie Pumping Iron. I'm not trying to become Mr. Universe. And it's always funny. I listen to a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff as well. A lot of motivational things that he shares. Because listen, people used to tell me all the time, I don't want, I don't want to look like you. He says, don't worry. With that attitude, you never will. <laughs> <laughs> 
one of the first things I started doing when I started strength training Ray is I subscribed to Muscle and Fitness Magazine, Men's Fitness, and Men's Health Magazines. And do you want to know how many of those magazines I've opened up and read anything out of them? Out of the last two years of subscriptions, I've probably read three articles out of all of them. But do you know why I have them and why why they stack up in the bathroom next to the, well, the, the, the personal business place? <laughs> because every day I walk in the bathroom, I see a cover photo of somebody who has sculpted their body to look the way they want it to look. Mm-hmm. And I identify with myself in that way. I am a bodybuilder. I'm not going to be Mr. Universe. That's not my desired goal. But by golly, Ray... Within the next five years, you will see me without a picture of me without my shirt on. I will have a six-pack of abs. I will have muscle that's going to impress people. More than anything, it's not to impress anybody else. It's to impress me. I did this. And that's who I am. I changed my identity. And because that's who you are, I have no doubt you will achieve exactly what you just said. Because I, I have to. Because that's my identity, I have to stay consistent with how I define myself. You must be who you are. So, in, in, you know, I work out my identity. This is a part of my identity. This is who I am. I work out six days a week, every week for the rest of my life. The question is never, am I going to work out today? The question is simply, when? You settled that question of, am I going to work out a long time ago? Yeah. And there are people out there, and I know, Ray, you've heard me say this before, there are people out there that says, listen, you know, if I don't get a workout in in the morning, it's, I just know it's not going to happen. And you know what? You're absolutely right because that's, that's your identity. Your identity says that if I'm the type of person, if I'm going to work out, I can only do it in the morning. That's, that's your identity. Yes. My identity doesn't say that. My identity says I work out six days a week every week for the rest of my life. And the other night, it was 11.45 p.m. And I asked my two daughters who are on summer break at school, I said, do you girls want to go to the gym with me? They said, yeah, dad. And so we were at the gym until like almost one o'clock in the morning. They were hanging out with their dad, working out. How cool is that? That's my identity. That's who I am. That's what I do. it's, It's awesome. And you influence other people. I mean, you influenced me. I used to be one of those people who said, if I don't work out in the morning, I won't work out. And you, not explicitly through telling me this, but through your example, made me realize, well, that's a, a belief that limits me that is not true. It's just something that I believe. So I stopped saying it. And guess what? Now I can work out any time of the day. Imagine that. Amazing. It's crazy. So my friends, the reason why I share this is because this is just one teaching from Tony Robbins. Are there some things Tony Robbins believes that are a little woo-woo out there? I believe so. But that's the case with anybody out there that has any value to offer you. The thing is, is that I want to encourage each and every one of us to be open to the idea that other people have a lot of experience working with lots of people. And if they have devoted a good portion of their life to seeking out what helps and makes other people successful, and they're willing to take so much of what they have learned and what they now believe and share that with the world. I, here's one thing I know in my heart and I trust in my heart. Though Tony Robbins may believe some things that I don't believe in and may teach some things and do some things that I don't believe in, I believe that everything Tony Robbins does, he does out of a heart because he loves and cares for the people he's reaching out to. Yes, I agree with that. And I would just like to add this to the conversation. And that is that I agree with you that there are some things that he teaches and believes that I don't agree with, but I have three specific experiences. I thought about this before we got on this discussion, three specific experiences that I will quickly share that directly describe my relationship to Tony and his material. Experience number one is way back in the 1990s, listening to Tony's tapes helped me accelerate my radio career and take me from a low paid, mostly destitute disc jockey to a successful radio executive with one of the top three broadcasting companies in America and achieve a six figure income 
which for a high school graduate seemed like an almost impossible thing at one point in my life. That's experience number one. Experience number two is because of Tony's work, I formed some of the core beliefs about life, some of my core belief systems that have enabled me to deal with some very difficult circumstances and change the quality of my life for the better. And three of those beliefs are every experience serves me in some way. Every day above ground is a good day. And there is no failure unless it's the failure to learn from experience. Mm. And the third experience that I had uh, through Tony's, and there's many more, but these are just three key ones. The third experience is I went to the UPW event, the one you're getting ready to go to. Yep. In 2006. And what people cannot see who are listening is I'm showing you the handbook, the manual that I used at that event that I hand wrote all these notes in. And one of the core issues I was dealing with then was I was having a crisis of faith. And I used the methods that I learned at this event to eradicate the problems I was having with my faith. And I wrote notes. The challenge I was having, I wrote in here, I said, I can't ever know the truth about God and his will. Hmm. That was a limiting belief that I was dealing with. And we went through an exercise. I won't go any further because you're about to have this experience. And so I don't want to give any revelation about what's going to happen. It'll rob you of some of the value of the experience. But when I came out the other side of that, this is what I wrote. I am a child of God. I am an eternal son. God lives inside of me. I am God's own creation. And that event radically altered the course of my life faith life in the course of my relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. Wow. And I've never been the same since that day. And it's not because that was the topic for which no. the conference was about. It was you it was applying the universal truths and principles absolutely to that scenario that you most needed help in. Yeah, Tony didn't talk about any of that stuff. He just gave us some tools and said essentially Decide what the things are you need to work on in your life and use these tools to change those areas. And I changed my identity. Listen to what I wrote. Every sentence started with, I am, I am, I am. That's about my identity. Yes, identity. Well, our mutual friend, Michael Hyatt, reached out to me. He had listened to last week's episode as well. He says, hey, Cliff, before you go to UPW, read this. It was some advice that I was given before I attended the event the first time. And so, I, he, and then he gave me a link to a blog post he wrote called The Three Benefits of Playing Full Out. He said, I attend a lot of conferences and meetings. I have noticed that most people play it safe in these settings. They are reserved, armed crossed, and skeptical, or simply distracted, hunched over their smartphone. Precious few take the plunge and play full out. He says, several years ago, Robert Smith, Andy Andrews' manager, paid for Gail and me to attend Tony Robbins' Unleashing the Power Within. Though it only lasted four days, it changed our lives. We still feel its impact today. Before we left for the conference, Robert said, look, guys, I'm thrilled you're going to the conference. I only ask for one thing. Play full out. Don't hold back. We agreed. That was some of the best advice I ever received. It served me well, not only at the conference, but in almost every other project. What does playing full out look like? Number one, be fully present, undistracted by anything else. Number two, stretching yourself, even if it makes you feel awkward or uncomfortable. Number three, giving your best effort, even when you are tired and want to quit. Why play full out? Here are three significant benefits. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll put a link to the rest of this. Uh, blog post in the show notes over at podcastanswerman.com slash 455. And you know, the the one thing that I, I will tell you is I am prepared to go. I, I have no idea what lies ahead of me in these four days, but I am going full bore ahead. I am going not with skepticism. I'm going to follow the spirit of discernment that God has obviously given me. But I am going also with the openness that there are going to be many things and methods and tools that are made available to me that are going to allow me to see the things that are holding me back in a whole new light that may help me propel myself myself forward and that I'm going to come out of this event with 
the same kind of testimonial that my friend Ray Edwards has, that Michael Hyatt has, and that I've heard from so many other individuals. Yes, I believe that's exactly what you'll experience. And Michael's advice about playing full out is definitely spot on. Yep. Well, there you go, my friends. Ray, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I I was really excited about having this conversation and it's such a privilege to be able to talk about these things with you. I have no doubt that you'll be back on the Cliff Ravenscraft show many times in the future. Am I correct? As often as I'm invited. Okay, awesome. And so you guys will hear plenty more of Ray. I have a feeling though, you guys are going to have to put up with some long monologues from me talking about Tony Robbins over the next couple of weeks. I hope that Maybe after today, it might make your skin crawl less. Um, I love each and every one of you. I thank each of you for listening to this show. I encourage you to check out my friend Ray Edwards over at rayedwards.com, though with a word of caution that I may not entirely agree with everything the guy believes or teaches. (laughs) But I do have confidence in a majority of that stuff, and I love the man, and I thank him for being here today. The feeling is mutual. Thank you, my friend. And right before I go, just real quick, my next session of podcasting A to Z launches on Monday, August 1st. Don't miss your opportunity to be one of 20 students in this next session that starts on Monday, August 1st. If you'd like to have me as your personal coach for the four weeks of that entire process, literally walking you hand in hand through every single step in the process, having consistent access to me as your coach for four weeks. If that sounds interesting to you, head over to podcastinga-z.com and I'm going to close this podcast episode out with a recording that Rick, one of my students in my most recent session of Podcasting A to Z, recorded. He didn't necessarily record this as a testimonial for me to play in the podcast. He recorded it for me personally as a message to me with the understanding that other people in our class, the session number 25, might listen to it as well. But he also gave me permission to play it in my podcast. This is Rick from a brand new podcast called Libertarians on Fire over at libertariansonfire.com. Here's what Rick had to say about my class. And then after you hear it, check out podcastingatoz.com. Hey, Cliff, this is Rick. I recorded this message for you and anyone else in the course who cares to hear it. Back on April 21, I sent you an email letting you know that I really wanted to be in the May podcasting A to Z course. And I shared with you why it was so important to me and that I was 100% committed to accumulating the money necessary to make the investment in the course. I also asked if you'd be willing to reserve a spot in the course for me, even though I didn't have the money yet. And then on April 26, you responded, you'd be happy to reserve a spot for me. Well, let me tell you, this gave me a real lift. Again, I was committed to raising the money to do this regardless, but knowing that I had a spot reserved took some pressure off. In fact, it made me even more determined to make it happen. And by May 2, I had registered and paid for the course. Uh, I also appreciate the fact that you granted me access to some of the tutorials at that time, mainly so I could set up my gear and also start recording my audiobook. Now, when I started this process with you, I did not have the money to make this happen. So how did I do it? Well, I sold various items on Craigslist to raise the money. Finding out about podcasting A to Z and going through the course these last four weeks has truly been a life-changing experience for me. Uh, As of today, if I include the course, gear, uh, software, hosting, artwork, voiceovers, I have spent $4,010. And I'm on the hook for another $35 to $40 a month ongoing for Libsyn and Adobe Audition. But I really shouldn't say spent because it's really an investment. In fact, I think it's fair to say that for me, it's the most important and best four grand that I've ever invested in my life. Becoming a podcaster and an author gives my life uh, a new sense of purpose, something that, as I shared with you in my original email, I had really struggled with over the past couple of years. So I just wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you've done for me. You are in business to make money, but I truly believe 
that you genuinely care about people and that you want to help them in any way you can. I also believe that entrepreneurs' earnings are in direct proportion to the value that they create for others. And you, my friend, have truly earned every penny that you've generated for yourself and your business. And these last four weeks have been an absolute blast. I've had so much fun and learned so much. I've enjoyed interacting with all the other students. In fact, on that note, I want to thank you for letting me butt into everyone else's threads. I hope I didn't overstep my bounds on that, but I figured I could ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Today is a bittersweet day. I'm a little sad that it's over, and I'm also excited to take everything I've learned from you to take my podcast, my business, and my life to the next level. Podcast! Add some man.